This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns on mobile apps or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron, here in the studio in Austin, Texas. Very excited. Yet again, you can probably tell because we have another Another, another, another really epic, epic human in our midst today. Um, this particular brilliant CMO is at a really cool intersection in her career and her path. I mean, just really on the precipice of just even more momentum. Let me tell you a little bit about Jessica Gilmartin, the chief marketing officer for Calendly. So Jessica, if you go to Jessica's LinkedIn, um, her description says marketing finance. I don't think that tells you you know, too much about Jessica, but if you go a little deeper, you'll see that Jessica has worked at some incredible brands. I mean, we're talking head of product uh, when you were at Google. By the way, Jessica, you and I were at Google at the same time, 2011, shout out. You also were COO for Piazza, GM for and CMO for Lighthouse AI, CMO for Honor, and of course, uh, head of revenue marketing for Asana. Shout out to Asana because everyone uses them too. Um, prior to joining Calendly, you had all that awesome experience. So welcome to Marketing Trends. We're super stoked to have you. How's it going? Thank you, Jeremy. Well, that was a very lovely introduction and I appreciate it. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and, and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, look, you're Jessica, you're in a really cool spot. You have such this deep experience in marketing and marketing leadership. So you're drawing from a lot of experience with different products and different teams. What's happening right now in your world? Because look, you're in the first, you're in your first six months at Calendly. What's in your view right now? What are you really excited about? Because look, you have a lot of deep perspective and experience, but what's on your plate right now? So this is a, obviously a really different and interesting time, right? The past couple of years have been all about growth at all costs. And it's it's been pretty much just higher and spends um, and, you know, and, and the, the rising tide has floated all boats. And I think that we have gone through a pretty dramatic change over the past few months. And I know there's a lot of sales and marketing folks that uh, this is a really huge turnaround. And this is potentially the first time that a lot of folks in the market have seen something like this, right? This is probably the worst market that has been around since 2000. And it, it's in some ways, it's really scary. I see this as a really big opportunity because I see this as a great opportunity for marketers to do their best work. And I see this as an opportunity for companies that are truly providing value and that really have a deep understanding of their customers and how to profitably grow, be successful, and stand out from the crowd. So I love these times when marketers have to be super creative and scrappy. Um, we have to think about efficiency. We have to think about prioritization. 
Uh, and I just think it forces us to do our best work. So, you know, I, I just am really actually enjoying this time a lot and especially being brand new to Calendly and just really excited about the challenges that we have and, and opportunities that we have in front of us. So you, you, we talked about you joining Calendly recently. So what, like, what drew you to the role? Because I look at your background, you've had some epic experience. That also tells me that someone like you can do a lot of different things. You can go off and do your own thing. You can join big brands, small brands, fast growth. I mean, lots of things. What, what take us into kind of the opportunity you saw and what really drew you into Calendly? Yeah, I have done pretty much everything. I always say that I have the wackiest backgrounds. Um, I'm everything from working at Google and Dell to starting my own yogurt business. Uh, I mean, I, and, and an investment banker, I've really literally done pretty much everything. Uh, and I think what's helpful is that I've sort of realized what I love to do. And what I really love to do is come into an organization that already has significant product market fit, that already has customers that absolutely love it, but that there's still so much opportunity and growth. And that was really the sweet spot for, for Calendly when I came in, which is everybody knows Calendly. Everybody uses Calendly. You know, I love going everywhere. And the first thing, you know, when people ask me what I do and then they tell me their Calendly stories and how amazing it is. Um, and that's really fulfilling to me as, as a marketer to market a product that people love. So that's number one, which is, is it a product that already has fit and people love? But then what's the opportunity and, and where can I make an impact? And there's clearly so much more that we can do as an organization. You know, we're just starting to tell our story. One of the big things that we're doing is, you know, we're really moving up market. We're really focused on continuing to have an amazing user experience, but with larger teams in enterprises. And that story isn't being told yet. And that's the thing that I love to do. It's what I did at Asana, which is really blending the product-led growth and the sales-led growth motions, thinking about how do we you know, still be true to our roots, but then create a completely new motion um, so that we can grow profitably, we can serve larger teams in a way that other companies can't. So that's the thing that gets me mm. really excited. And, and actually, even more importantly than the company and the product, it's really about the team. So I've learned okay. through many, many interactions with executives over the years that everything comes down to the leadership team and the relationships that I have with them. And so the, the thing that I'm always evaluating when I go into a new organization is, you know, does the, the leadership team have the same values that I do? You know, what kind of culture are they creating? And is that the kind of culture that I'm excited to perpetuate? And I really found that here. Like, I love our CEO, Tobe. I love the leadership team. We are really direct, we're really constructive. Uh, and that's what gets me excited every day is knowing the support that I have from the team. Wow. Okay. So we've we've over the over the history of the show, we've had, you know, some marketing leaders come in and talk about their first 90 days, right? Like what they do, what they don't do. I find it fascinating to hear certain perspectives like Marissa Mayer when she went into Yahoo, she got a lot of flack from people because it seemed like she wasn't doing anything in her first 90 days. So she was just kind of listening and like having meetings, but like, what is she doing? And then I've talked to other CMOs that take a much different approach when they come in. They're already building strategy and, and hiring and, and it's such an interesting perspective. And then here you are joining a brand who's had an, had an interesting intersection of time that, that can do a lot of interesting things that's moving with a lot of velocity already. So that tells me that like you coming in, I don't know how much 
time you can take to sit and like watch and assess? And are you doing that in the first 90 days? Are you jumping right into things? Like t- take us into that because you're just outside of that, of your first you know 90 days in the role. What was your, your yeah, those three months like for you jumping into this, this crazy rocket ship called Calendly? I'm pretty sure I've never been able to sit for more than a day. Um, so I can't imagine sitting for, for 90 <laughs> days, to be honest. That's definitely not my personality. And and I understand and completely respect both both sides. And I, I understand how you have to come into an organization, particularly you're coming into Yahoo as CEO. That's pretty fundamentally different. Um, and they have fundamentally different challenges. So I completely respect that that perspective. Um, that's definitely not me. And that's definitely not the role that I came into at Calendly. So I'm very fortunate I came into uh, a team that was already really strong. Uh, and a team that was really excited and motivated to do great things. So the fundamentally, I felt like I was in a really great position where I could come in and make change very quickly. Um, and I think what the team needed was uh, was a way to organize and a way to create structure and alignment and accountability. So that was really when mm. I came in, the very first thing I did was meet with everybody. So I do think that, fun, that that is the most important thing when you're coming into a new organization is you have to meet with every single person. So even though it's a huge investment, uh, I think it's well worth the investment because you learn at every single layer, what are the actual challenges that people have when they're trying to do their work? And it's not just the sanitized version that you're being told or the version that is two or three steps removed. So I met with every single mm. person and I call it sort of my magic wand conversations, which is, you know, if I had a magic wand, uh, what would you change? And you learn a whole lot from that. And really what what you then do is you sort of say, okay, I'm trying to synthesize all of the magic wand conversations to see what are the, what I call culture bugs, right? What are the things that are holding people back from being able to do their best work and move the company and the team forward? So um, once I've sort of collected all that information, I, and then I, I just repeat it back to the team and say, hey, here are the culture bugs that, that I see, and we're going to squash all these bugs. And so the very first thing that I do is I just try to squash as many culture bugs as I can. And I think what that does is it really creates this uh, this feeling from the team that I'm listening to them. And it I, I think it creates this level of trust and this belief mm-hmm. that I am there to help them. I'm not there to um, to do anything that is going to hurt the team uh, and that I'm listening to them. Sure. So that's like, to me, the most wow. important thing. And then as I'm doing that, I'm forming my own opinion on what our strategy should be. So the most, most, most important thing is you have to align the team on what is the vision? What's the North Star? Um, and how are you going to get there? Because everything is going to change. Like Everything that my team is doing is different than what they did before I joined. And so they have to understand mm. why I'm doing it, uh, what the benefit is to them and what the benefit is to the company. And, by, and so it's all about cr- trust. It's about communication. Mm. It's about transparency. And it's about sort of quick, decisive action. Wow. I mean, I'm like, writing frantically because I want to go back to amazing mic drop moments there. Um, Phenomenal. So in order to get to the actual challenge, do you think that that magic wand conversation is what allowed you to get to like what's actually stopping people or or prohibiting people? Was that the the piece there? Is that that's the question, the framework? And then can you give us an example of the culture bug of like, okay, what are the culture bugs? And then like, let's squash those. Can you give me just examples? That's really beautiful framework. I would say it was a combination of talking to people and obviously also data. So my old boss at Asana, Dave King, our CMO, he had a great framework for what makes a a good CMO. And what he said is there's three things. You have to know the people, the data, and the story. And so I really take that to heart. And when I joined, for me, it was all about understanding the people and the data and the story. 
And so the people for me is obviously just meeting everybody, learning about them, understanding the challenges and opportunities and the motivations. Um, and then it has to be about the data, right? So you have to look at it and say, what what is um, what is working? What's not working? I would say we did not have a great culture of data before I joined. Uh, and that was one of the okay. very first things I did. I'm very lucky. I have a great analytics team who was right on board with this idea that we had to have a more robust uh, data culture. And so we built a lot of dashboards really quickly. And so we learned a lot from that. And I think between the in, uh, interviews with the team and the data, one of the big culture bugs, the biggest culture bug that I saw was that my team was creating great work, but they weren't focused on distributing that work. So the people that were creating the work, the content creators were not aligning with the people that own the distribution channels. And so we had all of this okay. fantastic content that was being created, but it never saw the light of day. And it was very clear in the numbers because the the small piece number of uh, content that was being distributed got a ton of views and they got a ton of interactions wow. and engagements. And the vast uh -huh. majority of content that was created had no views and no engagement and wasn't driving wow. any impact. So that was just a very obvious thing for me, which is um, to move to a campaign structure where all the teams are aligned on a very few number of campaigns and every piece of content has to be purposefully created with a distribution channel already identified. And that seems obvious and it seems easy, but moving people to this framework of, hey, everybody, every single person in the organization has to now work together on all of these campaigns, really force people to speak more, break down silos, um, focus more on the work and not their individual part in the work. Um, and it really hmm. created a lot of angst, but also excitement about how we can all make an impact by working together. Wow. This is like a masterclass, Jessica, and like how to come into an existing rocket ship and then make it an even doper rocket ship. Um, that's incredible. So you said something earlier too around like, you know, cause you're coming into an organization that's, that's already in some ways, like they have a vision, like they have a direction, like then you're coming in to either shift it, change it, grow it, evolve it, you know, all the things. How do you get an existing team and cultivate an existing team and, or whether it's leadership or, you know, your stakeholders or the team so supporting you and them to get on board with maybe a new version of the vision that you're creating, right? Because again, you're coming in from the outside, who's this person, but you're coming in with some serious gold, but you also don't have a lot of time to like, you know, uh, you know, waste, you don't have a lot of time, you're moving quick and everybody knows it. So how do you do that? How do you get people around a vision um, that's already there in some ways? So for me, I, I'm a naturally very empathetic person. And so I think that that really helps a lot. And I, the, the thing that I care deeply about is, is understanding other people and understanding their motivations and the things that they care about and making sure that the work that I'm doing is always framed in why they should care about it and what are their goals and how is what I'm doing going to support their goals, right? So, so I think uh, for me, when I talk to Topper CEO, the thing that he cares most deeply about is hey, you know, we're not telling our story in the marketplace. We we are, everybody knows this as a link, right? And very few people know us as a scheduling automation platform. And so it was very mm. clear to him, to, you know, to, to him that what he wanted from me 
was the ability for us to tell our story in a robust way through all of our channels. And and quite frankly, he was right. It was very, it was very clear. Mm-hmm, like we had mm-hmm. all of this content internally, but to my previous point, we were not distributing it properly, right? Our sales team did not have that message. You know, from a PR perspective, we weren't showing that. On our website, we weren't showing that. And so that was for me like, okay, that is my marching order for Taupe, which is how do we tell this story in the marketplace? And then when I talked to our head of sales, you know, she has very clear goals around what she needs to accomplish. And talking to our finance person, mm-hmm. he has very clear goals on what he has to accomplish in terms of efficiency, right? So if you go around to different parts of the organization and understand what do they care about, then that helps you frame the story. Um, and so when I went back to them at the end of 90 days and said, hey, here are my observations. Here's my plan. The whole plan has to be grounded in what they care about. Um, and so it was all grounded mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. how do we grow efficiently? How do we focus on LTV to cap? How do we focus on the storytelling? How do we focus on improving our demand generation and account-based marketing so we support sales? Um, and so ultimately, it should feel like it's not the marketing plan. It's the company plan that I'm just, mm. I'm taking their words and I'm taking their needs and I'm just putting it to paper. So you said earlier about reducing camp- campaigns. So was it, so did you kind of, was it, you, you simplified things and maybe brought, there was more, there was much more campaigns. You brought it down to, a, is that right? Like accurate, you reduced the amount of campaigns that were happening? Uh, I would say that we didn't really have a concept of campaigns. So we we had hmm. a demand gen team that was doing great work where they were, um, you know, they were doing all the, the great things that demand gen teams do in terms of trying to drive leads through various channels. Mm-hmm. And we had a content team that was creating eBooks and blog posts, um, but they weren't talking to each other. Uh, and we also had, you know, uh, a lifecycle marketing team and email marketing teams that were creating email campaigns that weren't really um, tied to what was most important to the sales team or what was, what was a, a theme, right? So we didn't really have this concept of themes that were important to the company and to the customer. And so really what I said is, hey, we need to tie all of our marketing to one broader theme. So what is the thing Mm. that we as an organization care about the most? And usually it's tied to a product launch or it's tied to a vertical that we are seeing is particularly interesting or it's tied to something in the zeitgeist that is particularly relevant right now. For organization. Mm. Um, and so create, we, we basically now create a campaign calendar that is tied to each of those. And so we have usually like a tier one campaign that is typically tied to a product launch, um, but it is something that we know is going to, to be really relevant and valuable to our customer, the most number of our customers. And then we have lots of other campaigns that are, you know, verticalized campaigns or top of funnel campaigns. Everything is a connection between the content that we're creating and the distribution. And the mm-hmm. distribution is all of the channels that we have available to us, paid, email, website, PR. So like nobody is allowed to do anything outside of those campaigns. How do you deal with simplicity at scale versus complexity at scale? It seems like as organizations get bigger and move faster, there can often be this 
layers of complexity being added across all parts of the business, right? And I also find that some, it's interesting that some brands, even the really big ones seem to move really, really fast because they keep things simple in a lot of ways. And they have this view of like simplicity, simplicity at scale or some blend of those. Um, and just curious about your approach there and how you view, yeah, again, coming into something like this where there's a lot of moving parts and pieces and strategies already. Um, do you look at things of like, how do we slow down to, to speed up, you know, kind of a thing, or you just jump in? Just what's what's in the mind of Jessica when you get into stuff like that? Yeah, I'm probably not the slow down to speed up kind of person in Haitian. That's what I figured. I'm a speed up. Yeah, up. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. So I'm pretty obsessed with OKRs. Uh, and and obviously it doesn't matter whether okay. it's OKR or whether it's goals. It, you know, it, it doesn't matter the exact way that you you structure it. But I believe every single person has to have a clear goal. Every person has to have a North Star. And the organization needs to have a very small number of goals that everybody has to work towards. So that one of the very first things that I did from a marketing perspective is I created three OKRs for the marketing team. And every single thing that every person on the team does has to ladder up to one of those three OKRs. If it doesn't, then they shouldn't be doing it. And I know that people always wow. say, but but I have this other thing. And I'm like, I totally get it, but that's not important. And it's it's actually one of the hardest things to do is to force people to let go of these sort of emotional projects that they've been working yeah. on. That I, I, I have so much empathy and sympathy for that. But those things are not going to be the, the things that drive the business. And so it's just you have to be so ruthless in your prioritization and you have to be so explicit on why these things are important. And and just to give you an mm-hmm. example, like the the reason they're really important is that, you know, even though one person might say, hey, I have this pet project and it's really important to me and it only takes two to three hours a month. Usually those things have follow on effects because even if it's, mm. if it's them for two to three hours a month, they might need brand support. And the brand team is then looking and saying, well, this uh, person's asking right. for this thing and it will only take us an hour, but I have, you know, a hundred other requests and then they might need, you know, copy support and that might take an hour and they might need the web team to post it and that might take 30 minutes. And then all before you know it, you, you've created a situation where uh, you have told each of these support teams that they need to focus on the most important things, but then you're actually not mm. living that and you're not honoring that. And so then you end up in a situation where, everybody then starts to create more of these pet projects and um, and you lose that with this prioritization. So you just, you constantly have to be reviewing mm. what are people working on? Um, I'm obviously a huge fan of Asana, not surprisingly. And so mm-hmm. every single thing, like that was one of the first things that I said when I came here is everything has to be in Asana. Like nobody can ask for okay. things by Slack. You can't put it in a spreadsheet. You can't okay. email people. It has to be in, you have to make a request um, it's got to be part of one of the OKRs or campaigns that we've already agreed on. It has to be prioritized. Mm. Um, and I think it's just this constant forcing of prioritization and focus that is really hard to do, but it's it's super, super important. You can't just do it once. You have to do it always. Yeah. Can you talk, take us into the how, like a little bit of the how you do that? Like how, how do you do that successfully? Because you... Again, like you said, there's attachment to the projects and people get invested and they get some momentum and look at these results and like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, how do you, how do you do it? How do you keep bringing them back to the, those three RKRs? So I have objectives. Those are marketing objectives, which are pretty high level. Each of the leads then have their KRs that are tied to each of the objectives. And then every person under them has their own set of KRs that are tied to those. So every single person on my team has KRs 
and activities. So we literally have mapped out every single activity with an owner tied to a clear OKR. And, wow. and if people yep. want to swap out the activities, right? If, we, if we're like, oh gosh, you know, we thought that doing a webinar on this would be a good idea, but we tried another webinar like it and it wasn't successful. Then we make a very explicit trade-off and we say, okay, actually, we're not going to do another webinar. We're going to try out this other thing instead. So it's just this very mm. um, deliberate map mapping out of every activity and then looking at results and saying, is this still worth doing? If not, then what are we doing instead? I think that that's also really important is that marketers love to say yes to everything. And then we get ourselves in a situation we are totally overburdened. I hate that for my team. I don't want my team killing themselves. And so one thing that I say all the time is that, you know, the, the conversation always needs to be yes and. So, okay, so things have changed. We want to try something different. So what are we doing instead? What are we removing in order to add something? Mm, that's solid. Um, shifting a little bit to, to Tope, really big fan, big fan of Tope. I've been fo following him since the early days of, of Calendly. Just a great, great human. Would also love to interview him as a side note. Shout out Tope. Maybe one day we can get that. Maybe my people can get your people, Tope. Um, but there, in a press release recently, he said um, about you, he said that you would be helping to define a new category in technology. What category are you trying to define? And then how are you going to do that? So we we really believe that we are um, we're a scheduling automation platform, right? So we we sit very squarely in the sales productivity tools. But what we're seeing, and even as we're talking to analysts, we're starting to see that there's a recognition of how incredibly important scheduling is. So historically, it has definitely been buried among other um, other products. But we're seeing more and more, especially in this world where we all live virtually now. Scheduling is incredibly important and the complexity of scheduling has gotten so much higher um, and because of this world. So as an example, you know, people think again at Calendly as, hey, I want to schedule a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you and so I'm going to send you a link. It's so much more than that. It's, you know, I am a financial services advisor and I want to need to get um, you plus your tax advisor plus your spouse uh, plus three of my colleagues all on one call and we all live in different time zones. And that would probably have taken 10 emails and three weeks. And with Calendly, you can do it, you know, in like that, right? Um, it's also, we we just released a new routing product, which is doing really, really well. I, mean, I heard about yeah. that. I heard about that. And, yeah. and because it is it's solving a really complex need from marketers who are, trying to get the right leads to the right salesperson at the right time. And that, and I know because I have been doing it for years, that is really, mm -hmm. really hard. Um, and so yep. you know, now a prospect can go onto a website, they can be qualified automatically and they can be, they can schedule a meeting with the right salesperson from the website. And we're seeing, you know, companies that are doubling the rates at which their prospects can uh, have can book meetings with salespeople. So it's just this like level of complexity that we live in because we are not a world of face-to-face -face interactions anymore. We are in a world of virtual interactions where customers don't want to go back and forth many times, right? They want to be able to schedule meetings at their convenience in the moment. And I think analysts are recognizing this and companies are recognizing this. So that is to me the category that I'm really excited about, um, which is this really wow. complex way that we need to schedule in the modern world. Wow. 
and Calendly just seems to be, again, positioned at such a beautiful intersection of that, of like just the how fast we're moving and the need for that technology and how Calendly's like, here we are, we're here for it. In another uh, conversation interview that you had, you talked about top-down and bottom-up marketing strategies and kind of blending those together. Can you dig into that a little bit more for our audience? Like, how are you seeing that happen and why? So I always joke that having a top-down and bottoms-up hybrid strategy is like a thousand times harder than having either one or the other, because I've done them both. Um, so I, I feel like I've got a lot of credibility in talking about it, but that's that's what I love. Like, that's why I love being a Calendly. Uh, because it is so hard. And I think there's very few companies that have done it well. Uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll kind of explain why I think it's so so challenging. But one of the reasons that I think, you know, the, the PLG motion has become so prevalent recently is, is two things. One is it's incredibly easy to, to get up and going, right? I mean, you don't need an expensive marketing team. You don't need an expensive sales team. You just need to put a product out and, and see, and you get immediate feedback. And um, and the virality of it is amazing. Like Calendly has, in my opinion, the the most viral, profitable customer acquisition vehicle I've ever seen. It's incredible, and so there's a lot of value in that. And uh, and I think there's you know from a company perspective, being able to quickly and cheaply launch a product, get immediate feedback, get it in customers' hands is amazing. Amazing, and I love that. I think the second reason is that. You know, I think fundamentally, people think differently and expect and have higher expectations of the products that they use. So when I was, you know, early in my career, I didn't choose any of the tools that I used at work. You know, there was a very small number mm-hmm. of people that decided what we were using and they just pushed it to me and I had to use it whether I hated it or not. End of choice. And I think that I call it sort of the consumerization of SaaS tools, like People are not willing to stand for that anymore. And if if a company is giving me a tool that I don't like, I'm just going to go out and find my own and use it. And I think that that has really fundamentally changed how the the relationship between employers, employees, and the tools that they use. So I, I think mm, that is solid. why um, the, the PLG motion has become so prevalent is that the expectation is much higher that you know it's going to be a great user experience. It's going to be easy to use. It's going to be easy to share. And then these companies that have grown up through PLG are saying, gosh, like I'm seeing this natural uh, expansion among my users. Like I got one user in a company and they're sharing it with five or 10 team members because they love it and they see the value. Mm-hmm. And so now I've got to figure out, well, how do I turn five or 10 team member usage into 100, into 1,000? How do I get the VP of sales or VP of marketing? How do I get the IT person? How do I get the finance person on board with having you know a master service agreement? And then that opens you up to having to create an enterprise motion. So uh, Jessica, take us into a really cool experience you had, which was you know you were a part of this Asana rocket ship that that IPO'd, and I just want to understand as a marketing leader, you were there, head of revenue. You got to see a lot of this velocity yourself, or a part of it, a part of it in a big way. Take us into that experience. What was it like being a part of that? A lot of people hope, wish, and pray to be a part of like that kind of a scenario. You got to experience that at Asana. Tell us that story. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So I joined when we were about 150 million in revenue, just pre-IPO. I was able to 
to experience the the IPO, which which was a great experience. I think everybody should should be able would would be great to be able to experience themselves. Um, and then I think we had you know sort of three three to four x growth in two and a half years. So it was pretty incredible. And obviously, it was during the pandemic when a lot of companies were growing really quickly. Um, I'd say there there was a lot of incredible things about it. So I was able to massively grow my team had a ton of resources, be able to try a lot of new things, which is always fantastic. I was in charge of our international marketing. And that was really, mm. really interesting for me, an incredible learning experience to understand what it was like to market in Germany versus Japan versus Australia versus the US. Uh, and I, and I um, think it made me such a better marketer. Uh, I also spent a huge amount of time really building our enterprise sales motion and figuring out how do we tie in the PLG motion with the SLG motion which uh, I would say was in, was incredibly difficult because it really is about a culture change. It's around a sales change. It's around the systems and the data and the tooling. So I'd say, you know, it's it's an incredible experience to be at a company that's growing that fast. It also has a lot of challenges because the the just by definition, the people, the data, the systems, it's really hard to keep up with that level of growth. And so you right. you have to really focus on the fundamentals while also trying to keep the the wheels on. Uh, and I think that that's a that's a tough balance. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like pressure and do you like love the pressure of like, okay, we're not behind the eight ball, but it's like, look, you're you're preparing you you know from the inside that you're preparing for the IPO. You know, your 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 things are happening. Does that was that like a lot of pressure for you? And do you love that kind of pressure? Like, how did you view that? I know a lot of people from the outside looking in might be like, geez, what's that even like to go through that? Take us in that inside of come like the the locker room, if you will, of like, what what do you, what are you, yeah, what are you thinking? Did you dive into that? Was it super high pressure for you? I'd say the, the interesting thing about Asana's IPO was, I would say that it didn't actually feel that different after IPO than before IPO, which is very unusual. And I think one of the big reasons is is really because of our CEO and founder, Dustin Moskowitz, who had this very strong perspective that you know he was building a company for the long term. And they were really looking for investors that believed in the long-term vision of the company. And so we were not focused on, you know, how do we maximize our quarterly results, right? It was not about mm. hitting street numbers. It was not about bringing every dollar of efficiency. It was really about you know, what do we need to do to invest in the team so that we can be the best company over the long term because we believe so strongly in the power of the product in the market. And so it's probably the thing that I learned the mm. most that I was I felt was was really rewarding. And I hope that in if I'm get to go through another IPO, I hope that that's something that we continue to do, which is not being obsessed with you know, the the pennies per share on our earnings, mm -hmm. but really focused on mm -hmm. how are we investing for the long term for us to win. So I think I'm very lucky. Um, but of course, like probably the biggest stress was around just making sure, especially as a marketing person, that, you know, everybody says the right things in public. We definitely, you know, right. that, that's right. the, the biggest concern because Asana was very transparent, just like Calendly is. You know, we share a lot of information to our employees and I think you have to build a really strong culture where, you know, people believe in the company and they believe in the leadership and they respect that level of transparency. And so I think that that was the thing that I always worried about is like, I want to make sure that I'm being really, you know, uh, 
thoughtful around what I'm sharing. And I also want to make sure that everybody that that I'm responsible for is also being really thoughtful about what they're sharing mm. because the the rules are very different when you're public versus private. For sure. Yeah. No, that's super interesting. I love I love I loved your answer of like that the the leadership team and the, the culture of the of Asana was they were all committed to the long-term vision of like we know like this is where they knew the scoreboard of kind of where we're going and didn't get distracted by a very, you could very easily be distracted by a lot of things in that process and that's really cool to say to say hey we're are we all on the same page here we're all going there and let's go that direction and then look and success still followed right success still followed yeah. so i think one thing that was really important too is is having a really strong sense of what your story is and what the value is that you provide. Mm. So, you know, for Asana, it was really about the demonstration of how well that they were doing in the enterprise. That was a very huge, huge part of the story. And so, you know, everything that we did was really focused on reiterating and retelling that story, um, both from a data perspective, as well as in, you know, a, a customer anecdote perspective. And so that's something that I, I think a lot about, which is, you know, they're, they're, every company has to have a reason to buy, right? And whether it's a reason to buy your technology or reason to buy your stock. And then that really forms the basis for what every single person in the company should be focused on. So at Asana, it was very much, mm. we are moving up market. We have so much traction. Let's continue it because that mm -hmm. is our, you know, our differentiation. Um, and that's something that I think a lot about at Calendly too is, is how do we make sure that we understand what differentiates us, what our value is relative to our competitors, um, and what our value is to our customers and that every single person in the organization is laser focused on that. Mm. I would be remiss if we didn't at least bring up AI in this conversation and how, you know, what role is AI playing right now in your overall marketing strategy at Calendly? Has it helped to streamline things? What's your view on it? I know I have, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I've got ChatGPT. Like when I open up my e I email, calendar, chat GPT. That's like a daily tab for me and I'm in it all the time. Um, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Well, I'm curious, what, what do you use chat GPT most? I'm using it for copy, emails, uh, strategy. I use it a lot for role-playing. I love it for role-playing. I'll tell it to be like, pretend you're a Fortune 500 CMO and then role-play with me. And that's really interesting. Or like, I'll tell it to be a, I told it to be a Navy SEAL. I said, I want you to role play as a decorated Navy SEAL. And then I, and I was asking it questions about my routine and my habits. And, and I have friends who are Navy SEALs and I'm like, I mean, I, these guys charge thousands and thousands of dollars to coach people through this. I've got chat GPT literally acting like a Navy SEAL, giving me a whole plan. I mean, it's ridiculous. So that's how I'm having fun with it, but would love to hear, yeah, just your view on AI in general and kind of what your thoughts are around it with Calumly. That's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's so creative. I love that. <laughs> so uh, I think there's, there's a lot of security and privacy concerns. So I, I'll be honest, like I, um, I'm a huge fan of AI. I'm a huge fan of the efficiency uh, and the accountability that it it, uh, it forces. But you know, I'm very, very cautious of using anything in the public domain because once it's in the public domain, you can't get it back. And so, you know, I'm right, a big fan right. of us using AI tools that we control the data and are part of you know are within sure. the Calendly. Uh, but I'm you know I'm I'm very, very cautious about using anything that that's outside of that. Uh, as much fun as ChatGPT is, uh, so well, I think, you know we. I think there's there's definitely a place for AI in terms of the iter iteration and optimization. I still think 
you know, creating really great content that is differentiated and unique and speaks to our customers, like still has to come from a human being. And so, you know, I, I still am investing in our content writers. I'm still investing in our brand designers because, you know, I, I still believe that that's a differentiation and I still believe that that's really critical. And I think it's just like, how do you then if, you know, if it's like, Hey, we need to create a hundred variations of an ad to me, that is a great use of AI or sure, I think sure. there's like yeah, a yeah. lot of really exciting things around prediction for emails. So I think like that's another great example where it's all about like, how do you understand for really large data sets? You know, what are ways that you can optimize um, email, open rates and click through rates? So to me, it's like more on the margin now, um, just because I care so much about our brand and the uniqueness of our brands. And mm. I don't feel like using AI for everything is kind of the right move for us. Got it. I, lo- I love how you continue to double down on the on the human. I mean, it's going to upskill, I think, a lot of people. And, and But I think you're right in that there's still nuance to it. You still, it's not, it's, it's, you still need to be able to, you know, to think in the way that humans think and, and add that piece. So keeping, keeping those content writers, keeping those marketers that are, that are really invested in the wording and the language and the structure is super important. I think AI can add some color and add some nuance, but you got to be able to, and if you don't know how to use a paintbrush, then it doesn't really help you. But if you can use it to support your role, I think it'll take people to another level. Like we have a whole team of content writers too. And now they're all using, you know, some tools that make them all seem like they're on steroids where it's like, wow, you now have access to even more Intel on top of your creativity. Like, bam, that's beautiful. So yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, I see it as an enhancer and not a replacer. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally agreed. Yeah. Okay, Jessica, we are in to the lightning round. Now, this is basically a round where you get to answer some cool questions. Don't think about them too much. Kind of answer from the from the heart, from the gut, if you can. And then if you have no answer, we'll just move on to the next question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First question is, what is your least favorite business buzzword? I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so I have this this obsession with human speak and something that I learned at Google. And I tell okay. my team all the time, like, just can you please remember that we are human beings talking to other human beings and like, just use a word, use words that you would use when you're talking to your friends. Um, and so for some reason, I have this thing against the word utilize. And I just don't okay, like it. Okay. I'm like, it's just a fancy word for use. So can we just use the word use? So that's probably my least favorite one. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, what is the best or one of the best team building exercises you've ever employed? And do you still use it? Um, I I just love little icebreakers. So bef- at, and especially okay. resume. So every single meeting that I run, I do an icebreaker. And um, I okay. pretty much 99% of the time it's around food because I love food. And I just find that food is just a very same, same. emotional thing. So yeah, anything related to food is that, that that's what I that's what I live okay. for. I love it. Okay. What was the first thing you thought about this morning when you woke up? Uh, it's really sad, <laughs> but I thought about my kids' baseball games because I had two boys and all they do is okay. play sports. And we had like seven baseball games this week. And so I just thought wow. about how many okay. baseball games I'm going to go to. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay. If you, Jessica, 
could send, uh, could use marketing to send a message to the entire world, put billboards everywhere around the world, what would you have on your billboard? Oh my gosh, I would just say, just please love each other and just be kind. I love it. <laughs> so good. That's good. That's that's surprisingly um, one answer that I hear on that one from Mark from marketing leaders is that one. It's like be kind, like be respect. I mean, that has come out a few a, more than a few times, which I, I really think that's interesting coming from a CMO like who could say a lot of things. Like, hey, let's be human, let's be kind, which I I love that. Um, what is a movie quote or song lyric that describes your management style? Do you remember a movie called A League of Their Own? Of course. So this one for sure, which is, uh, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. Oh, love it. Love it. Okay. What is one popular thing or activity besides, you know, growing brands ridiculously fast that you wish you enjoyed more? That's a really hard, <laughs> that's a really hard one. <laughs> probably, uh, probably geeking out on AI. <laughs> I feel like I should really okay, like that more. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like it. Okay. What is the best business advice you've ever received? So my uh, former CMO at Wildfire many, many years ago once said that strategy is the art of prioritization. And I must have said that a thousand times since then. If you ask any of my team members what I say the most, it's that line. Wow. I love it. Okay. Okay. That's that's what I'm keeping in my personal tool belt. That's good. Um, okay. Well, tell us uh, what's next, like just for you this year, like what's next for you? What's next for Calendly? And we can wrap. This has been so cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate the conversation. The, the biggest thing for us is we're just continuing to focus on two things. One is how do we provide the absolute best individual user experience? Because without our individual users loving us and sharing us, we don't have a company, right? I mean, it, it is all about those users who choose to adopt us and share us. Um, and then taking that and and really leveraging that to create this, um, this love and expansion opportunity within organizations. So it sounds easy and it's actually really hard. But that's the thing that gets me excited is the combination of both. Um, and just continuing to build build our team. So, you know, I'm in a very fortunate position where we're we're growing and we're hiring um, in a really really tough market. And so, you know, I'm really excited about bringing more great future Calendly marketers on, creating mm -hmm. a really strong culture of innovation and accountability and and great results. Um, and just most importantly, is I care so deeply about the the people that work for me. And so, uh, the thing that I um, I focus more than anything on is, is how do I create an environment where every person that works for me feels like this is the best job that I've ever had. So that's what I'm excited about. I love it. Well, that's a fantastic mic drop to end it on. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I'm excited. I would also love to just throw this out there. Let's do this maybe like later in the year. Let's reconnect again. I want to reconnect with you specifically like seven, eight months from now and hear what's happening in your world. Uh, there. So maybe we'll just put a, a semicolon in it. But thank you so much for being here. You killed it. We appreciate you. Thank you.